Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, uh, share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode, and uh, you can find us on our blog, jot on our information. Kenny, welcome back. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I needed a day off, and I'm ready for more. Okay. Kenny's been working very hard. <laughs> I mean, I think the next episode will cover as to what I've been up to and related to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, welcome back. Because we need you for this topic because it's critical race theory. Mm-hmm. That's the subject we'll be discussing today, and uh, and we'll be doing it, I guess, in four parts because we'll be discussing what it is, um, where did it come from, and where is it now, and what do we think about it. So, um, let's see. We'll have a lively discussion. Maybe we should start with a definition that is accepted by most scholars. So I I decided just to look up the Britannica, and people can find this, and I'm just going to read off what it is. And then people, um, and then we'll discuss uh, other parts too. So, critical race theory in uh, intellectual mo- is the intellectual movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physical, physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Critical race theorists hold that the law and legal institutions in the United States are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African-Americans. Another thing that has been published by uh, leading scholars such as uh, Richard Delgado and Jean Stefanik, S-T-E-F-A-N-C-I-C, they assert the following things. So one, that race is socially constructed, not biologically natural. Two, racism in the United States is normal, but aberrational. It is common, ordinary, it is the common, ordinary experience of most people of color. Three, owing to what critical race theorists call, in quote, interest convergence or, in quote, material determinism, um, Legal advances or setbacks for people of color tend to serve the interest of do- of dominant white groups. Thus, the racial hierarchy that categorizes American society may be unaffected or even reinforced by ostensible improvements in the legal status of oppressed or exploited people. Four, members of minority groups periodically undergo differential racialization or the attribution to them of varying sets of negative stereotypes again, depending on the needs or interests of whites. And the last two, five, according to the thesis of intersectionality or anti-essentialism, no individual can be adequately identified by membership in a single group. An African-American person, for example, may also identify as a woman, a lesbian, a feminist, a Christian, and so on. And six, last one, uh, the voice of color thesis holds that people of color are uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their group or groups regarding the forms and effects of racism. So, but um, those are generally what is most widely accepted at what critical race theory 
contends to be. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in my research or what I was reading up, um, um, again, it's it's not a one thing. You know, there's different um, opinions as to what it is exactly. There's like, uh, again, this is the canon, right? Uh, the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, but uh, from my understanding, you know, I read from different articles, different um, points of view, and it's just a, a, an amalgamation of different ideas uh, to kind of try to define, um, um, you know, the, the experience, I guess, of oppression of people of color. Um, but it, to me, well, I found it very interesting that, I, I don't know if this is an opinion, but it's part of the definition or the lack of definition that it doesn't include economic factors in there as much. It's more cultural uh, factors. Um, yes, institutions, you know, like the law, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, perception and stuff, but it basically doesn't uh, talk about the role of capitalism and it lumps people together, uh, you know, as if all, all people of color are the same and have the same experiences by having um, you know, a color of skin. Um, and so that's what I didn't find, I guess, in, in looking um, to understand what, what it means, because, again, to me, this is also kind of new, even though once I read the definition, it, um, it started to make sense because it's very prevalent, actually. I don't think a lot of people know what CRT is or critical race theory, but a lot of people are employing it and using it and it's it is it's very um, part of our, the community of organizers that I'm part of in San Francisco, for example. I just wanted to say uh, that what it what it isn't, I suppose, just because I think it might be confused with well, a lot of training and equity, diversity, and all this training that has been going on, and I think in the police department and in schools and in workplaces, it isn't this. It's it's a way of thinking about the world especially the social norms and legal practices that govern society. So it, it's very different from training. It's, it's, a, it's the way of thinking. I would say that these, the ideas that are, that are bound up in critical race theory from decades ago do inform the kinds of uh, ways we talk about anti-racism and social justice and education. Um, so I, I would not draw a wall between those things. I do think it informs. There is a difference between something like culturally relevant pedagogy and critical race theory. But again, those, even those things become somewhat informed by each other. Um, and um, I think the, the other thing I found interesting, well, uh, first, the, the, the very notion of what is this, that, that I, I didn't really know about, the, the idea that there were such as things called critical theory that basically said, you know, society cannot be understood by just, un, by, uh, by, or, or, understood by just looking at individuals, you had to look at the structures, the, the social and cultural structures in society. Um, and so critical race theory is taking that approach of saying you have to look a little bit more at a, at a, at a system in play um, in, in order to understand how race and racism interacts with power. And, and I do think it, the critical race theory brings up class, but it brings it up intersectionally. That is, it brings it up as one of a series of equal divisions. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think there are problems with that, but I, that's what, one thing I, I, I thought was, well, one thing I, I found. And the other thing that was interesting, which I didn't really know, is that the origins of critical race theory come out of the, in many ways, the failures of the civil rights movement. Um, 
the the these people like that you had mentioned, like this guy Delgado and other Derek Bell and people like that, were all very like dis, disheartened by what had been accomplished out of the civil rights movement. And I think rightly so, actually. I think they they should be like we we didn't we didn't end racism. We didn't like this did not actually address racism. In fact, there were people who saw that the uh, Frederick what's that Board of Education versus Douglas versus Board of Education saw that that how whites you know in, in their mind how whites but I do how how the power structure benefited from that and how it that didn't actually lead to a, a, a rising up of the living standards of of, of blacks. Um, and, uh, of course they put it in terms of whites and blacks. I, I would put it in terms of capitalists and worker, but, you know, I do agree the critique that it, it's sort of my, my critique of reformism is that these reforms ultimately only allowed the system to maintain itself and then actually make things worse. And this is something that, you know, an author you've talked about, Kenny, Michelle Alexander speaks about that. Jim Crow is formally over, but the conditions of blacks um, in America have gotten worse, you know, where we, it, the United States incarcerates 25% of the global population, but only five, and, but only has 5% of the population and an overwhelming percentage of that incarcerated population is as is, is black or brown people, generally black or brown workers. So, um, and of course the, the wealth gaps and the income gaps, the, the, the wars, the United States wage, I mean, the one the, the the biggest thing I agree with critical race theory on is the fact that racism exists. It is institutionalized, um, and it it is as pernicious now as it ever has been. Um, and in that regard, I think I very much, I, I agree with that notion that you can't and you can't understand it as embodied in individuals. It's a systemic problem. Maybe we should discuss where is it now because it's a very hot topic. And as you were saying, Andy, it's it's actually been around for I think four decades. You know, people. I mean, it's now becoming more of a hot issue. But yeah. the precursor, as you were alluding to, is um, of was the critical legal studies, um, which was yeah. A I mean, that's a good point. Like, and it it started really among a movement of lawyers looking at the laws and saying. Just because law colorblind laws will not mm -hmm. produce colorblind outcomes, and, you know, and they were trying to explain why. Um, but again, I do think they increasingly looked at it in terms of white suprem, like the problem of white supremacy, the issue of white supremacy as being the issue. That is, it was whites getting over on blacks or whites getting over on people of color. I um, I think that that to me that led them down a, a road that we see today, which is we, what we call identity politics um, and the idea that of white skin privilege um, and that white workers benefit from the oppression of black and brown workers. Essentially, that's the idea. It was also looking at not so much the right, it was looking at uh, liberalism because the idea in um, liberalism is that equality, you know, that equality is that there is no, we don't take race into consideration because that's the aim that we're trying to be more uh, colorblind or more merit-based or trying to look at people's right. characters, Martin Luther King would say, uh, or as they constantly cite, uh, and only recognizing the most overt and obvious este, uh, racist practices. Um, but we have seen that even that has, um, well, the, 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 that even as today, as we can see, it, there's still dog whistle or is, um, 
um, not so of overt, uh, subtle, racist practices that are still being done uh, in institutionally. Uh, so anyhow, I'm just mentioning this point because it was originally like a criticism of liberalism. And still, if you want to take it even farther back, beyond, like, it was an offshoot as well, like CLS was an offshoot of Marxist-oriented critical theory, which was mostly about wealth inequality. What's so I CLS? What's the it's uh, CLS is what we're what we were discussing, which is a critical legal studies. Oh, okay. Critical legal studies, what you just were talking about, and crit and you and then you mentioned crit critical theory, which is um, more Marxist inspired. Um, which it went from critical theory to critical legal studies, and then it's like to critical theory. There's this connection. It's it's been a it's been offshoot after offshoot, because um, we were just discussing where where did it come from. I, I have a question. Um... So, how uh, Lipson, you proposed this topic, right? Uh, yeah, critical race. How, why, why this topic? I mean, how did you become aware that this is becoming more, um, you know, a hot topic issue? Because um, I, I have mean, some thoughts on my own, but yeah, just curious. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe that's your question gets to what Eduardo was asking about. Okay, what about today? Um, I mean, th there's been so much um, stuff going through my feed through from education. Um, like um, websites that I'm on um, about, you know, challenging and being like saying, wait, we, we need to be able to teach critical race theory because there are other folks who are saying what they want to ban critical race theory. Um, like there's been some states generally more in the Midwest considered red states where people are saying critical race theory is anti-American. Um, in Florida. Yeah. It's hostile to, it's hostile to my, my kid, my white kid, it, it teaches them, you know, bad things about themselves. Um, and there was another critique that I heard. Oh, and, and basically, you know, saying it's racist, basically, because it teaches white people to be ashamed of themselves and talks about the white people as oppressors. Um, and on that basis, under the note, in many ways, it inverts some of, some of the things that were the outcomes of the legal strategies around critical race theory that were about banning racist practices and 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 going and, and and going after hate speech and things like that banning hate speech the, the the people are using that language to say well we we will claim critical race theory is, is racist against whites we want it banned on that basis so it's sort of trying to invert it on its head um and or the idea of uh you know um because critical race theory does say you know it's not you, it's not about meritocracy when you're trying to put put um, people into jobs. It will say you know you you actually have to look at the the, the situation people came from. This is affirmative action, and and basically say and use and and may in many ways just say look you can't just look at who is you would claim is best for the job because that's not a colorblind thing you'll do. So you do have to look at who has got the job, and if you don't have enough people of color in particular positions. Then we can, you know, we can say, look, this is racist. You got to do, you got to do something about that. So a lot of all these things about like representation comes out of some of the critiques made by critical race theory, and um, these have been seen as also these quotas are seen as, as racist by people on the right. So that's where it's, it's been coming up. And so, um, as a person who doesn't agree with the framework of critical race theory, the overall framework for challenging racism. I thought it was an interesting discussion because I, one, I definitely don't think it should be banned. Um, uh, and I have, I would say that 
well, I'll say more about that maybe later, but, uh, and two, um, you know, an American, I don't care. I mean, I don't think anybody who wants to change society should care about that. Um, I do understand why parents feel like it's harmful to their white kid to hear, you know, like you're, you're an oppressor and, and using identity mapping in school and dividing people up that way. And I've heard students at my own school actually talk about how they don't necessarily like it. I get it, but I also do, I understand why parents could be upset about that, but I don't, I don't, I don't think it should be banned. Um, and it wouldn't be the way I would talk about race or racism in a class if I was teaching it, but, uh, I, I think it is a framework that exists and, um, it, at the very least, it acknowledges that we have institutional racism, but unfortunately, I think it goes about attempting to deal with institutional problems in the very way, the very way it says it shouldn't, which is it kind of asks each person to identify their own privilege or their own oppression. Like it, it, it makes you break you, it breaks you down into an individual unit and say, well, as a white person, I have individual privilege. That acknowledgement of that, or if, even if it was true, doesn't change a system at all. You know, and so the question is, is, well, then well, how if you say this is a systemic uh, change you're trying to make, then how are you, how does that knowledge help change that system? And I, I don't think it does. In fact, it keeps it individualized. It makes it a guilt trip for one and a, a kind of a situation for the for the other of just saying, well, it, you know, um, you're seen, which I think is important, but it doesn't change the structure that they the racist structure that they that they actually are are being raised in and live in and. And are going to grow up in. Um, I was going to say, I think we're now moving into very quickly. Oh, that's a good point as to why did, you did bring it up. So, I mean, I think why is it, where is it now? I think we've did a good summary. It is. And I would also add to it the, tr the Trump layer, which is uh, something that he had brought up in many campaigns and made it a political issue and was very, was a way to rally up, not to, to stir up this division, not just him, but other people did too on the left. And I and I saw it as something that was being used as a way for people to start um, congregating where they sort themselves. And uh, as we have mentioned, and this has been something for the last at least four decades. And here we are in the Trump era that's been talking in even the Biden administration. And even the Biden administration has retracted about, I think they cited something, they retracted something as an error of including it in some legislation around critical race theory. Well, now the administration backtracking, a Department of Education spokesperson telling Fox News, quote, the department does not endorse the recommendations of this group, the Abolitionist Teaching Network, nor do they reflect our policy positions. It was an error in a lengthy document to include this citation. So I think it is suddenly more in the light, in the spotlight, so I agree with you. Um, where we are, or, or what I personally think, I think that's where we're entering, um, because you shared some of that, um, is I think if people watched the last episode um, that we did where I shared my COVID journey or however anyone wants to label it, but but I really, some of the reopening school stuff and some of the stuff that we talked about, I think for me, uh, I just tie it to the episode that we did last week, which people can find in the link in the episode notes, that uh, it's exactly what you were talking about, which is the identity politics issue, which has to do with privilege. And I do think that people need to be seen. I, I think it's important, but you don't leave anything, as you were mentioning, you don't, it's, you don't leave people with 
what would you do? Like there's, what is, where is the labor studies movement or where is, where are you going to discuss how do you organize? Because if you're just going to be discussing what, like, oh, I'm, this is my experience, my story. And we enter into the trap of privilege uh, as it doesn't work as we can clearly see my struggles in the last episode where even as I shared and discussed the privileges I did not hold in trying to frame it that way for my teacher friends or even talking about privilege about workers and the lack of solidarity that there was with workers or even being used or not or just or censoring me as 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 I discussed in the last episode where people didn't really accept this brown voice telling them you know this is what my community needs we want to go back to school this is where whose voice is really being heard then and where is the solidarity if we don't emphasize it on workers and i and i and i do think that racism is obviously an issue but i don't think that just by discussing race and discussing in loops you're just going to um end up i don't think you're just you're not going to be able to um you know cause racism to be dismantled if that's the objective yeah i mean i think Lipson, you touched on it that um you know for me um identity politics uh crt critical race th uh, theory um it has a segregating effect you know when you're teaching about privilege um in not just as individuals but as groups you know segregates people in different groups um and into the like the most atomized uh, way possible because once you add intersectionality you know and then you, you you know the approach is to subdue your privilege quote unquote then you know like it's war basically even within the marginalized groups uh you know once you add the layers of sex gender uh class you know all these things it, it actually has a very and you know i bring it I think of BLM, you know, when, when BLM happened, you know, one of my arguments was that if, you know, people were talking about, you know, let black people speak, of course, I mean, we're not, you know, trying to speak for black people, but, you know, BLM had to grow in my mind to an issue about the, the institution, you know, the, the, the system itself, uh, but, it, but it stays segregated in that uh, this is a, a black people's fight. We're just here to support. We're just here to stand, you know, and work as, you know, have white people to be shields. You know, and, and so we saw the result. The result was that now, you know, BLM is in the Democratic Party. Um, the system hasn't changed. And in fact, they're funding the police more with no response. Uh, and so, again, because no one else had a stake in it. You know, it was just, I'm just an ally from a distance. I don't have a, a, a skin in the game. You know, that that's what I feel it does. Um, you know, in... So it has the opposite effect, you know, of, and again, we, we or at least as socialists, we see that the, our only weapon is to collectively, you know, act and fight back, not as individuals. But um, I think this is, uh, again, CRT is a product of an individualistic system. And it's not, um, in, to, in my mind, it's not an accident because it comes from people that are, you know, from academia from you know the systems that are in place they're not trying to destroy the system they're just trying to reform the systems and add more people of color you know but fundamentally the, the system itself is discriminatory you know capitalism 
it has to be, you know, a, you know, racism is a tool of that system. You know, that's my argument. Um, and so again, um, just to paint the picture, BLM to me is a critical example of how this doesn't work. Now we don't have a response. Um, there is uh, the the that energy that you know could have been directed as a working class movement, because again we were deferring to oh this is just a black people's issue, you know it's not all of our issues. And we had episodes where we talked about white black people um, matter to the ruling class, you know, and and we go back to Trump, we go back to the president. Um, that's where it is very useful to the ruling class. Whether they designed it that way or not, whether it was a product of the of the bot, you know, the grassroots movements, <coughs> the fact is that this um, CRT is divisive. Uh, it, it is it segregates people, even people within communities, you know. Um, and, and so, in and all it does is basically stay in your lane politics. You know, there is no debate, deliberation. You just have to hear, and then we get people like Obama, people like Kamala Harris, that are cops, and the ruling class knows this. You know, like we, they are put in positions of power. This is colonialism. You know, you you grab people from a community to attack that community. You know, uh, it's, especially with this frame of analysis of how to fight back, which is really a reformist route, not a revolutionary one. Yeah. I, Go ahead. Well, I just want to ask, Kenny, well, is your position then that this should be banned or this should not be taught in school or? Well, I would, we have to have, we have to teach about capitalism, you know, in the context of, of you know, yeah, racism exists. I agree with Lipson that it is important to understand that there is institutional, um, um, reasons as to why racism exists. You know, there is institutional racism. There is, you know, mass incarceration of people of color. Um, the, 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 I think the premise of why it happens might be different. Um, you know, and, and, and so therefore the, the solution that is proposed is just a cultural solution, not a systemic solution. So it, so it brings me to uh, Kwame Ture. You know, he says that, you know, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If the, a white man has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a problem of attitude. It's a problem of power. And so in, in the power of racism and sexism comes from capitalism, not from an attitude. You know, and so that's the difference that we want to change cult people culturally, shame people into changing their attitude. When in reality, we have to change a, a system. You know, that's from the economic and it has cultural consequences, but it's not just about, you know, I'm going to change my my attitude and that's going to change the entire system. It doesn't work like that. And it hasn't worked like that. And, if, and in fact, it's producing the opposite effects of creating more division and more reactionary, you know, uh, racism and, and acts of, you know, white people falling into their clan. And so it, it divides people into clans. And, and that is... And that is useful to the ruling class. So that's what we have to teach, I think, you know, how, how, how it is, you know, and we have to debate, we have to criticize these theories. But if you criticize it, we know that we live in, a, in an era that if you criticize something that comes from the left, academic left, then you're ignorant, you're a backwards person, 
you know, and and, and you must be a right winger. Yeah, maybe Eduardo, I'm going to try to take up that question of banning um, because I do think that's that question is an important one because uh, I I don't know if, I don't think it, 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 Kenny would agree with banning CR, CRT, but I want to I want to speak to why not only is it the wrong thing to do it's it's completely antithetical to anybody who's trying to change the world you know what and we'll get to that but I do want to start from I do believe that the reason this critical race theory is sort of being resurrected or being brought up in this way as a, as a means of talking about the discussion around race is connected to George Floyd, is connected to what the Black Lives Matter movement. And we've already seen that that movement was essentially taken over by Democratic Party. And this is sort of the leftovers. This is now what is left over from that movement is now, okay, we're going to we're going to give our base the idea that we support critical race theory and we're going to we're going to we're going to the Democrats will, will composture as people who are fighting racism essentially by by fighting for representation, which is what they've done. Right. They've they've put representation in all the top layers and businesses doing the same sort of thing. All those people can 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 lay claim to being against racism because they support this element of critical race theory, which is about representation, um, which is about putting uh, people of color in power, in positions of power as a means of changing society or culture, which won't work because you're not changing the structure, but whatever, that's a, that's a critique. Um, so I, this is a, this is sort of like, we're watching step by step by step. The, 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 aim, the, the aims of that movement way back when in the summer have been chipped and chipped and etched away. And this, I would call this critical race theory discussion, sort of the leftovers for progressives. This is the leftovers. This is what you get now. It's, we're not going to defund the police. You're just going to be left with maybe discussing it in in campuses and on in and and then here's what happens. And this is great for the for and this is great for the Biden administration. So the right wing comes along and says we're going to ban that shit. Okay. Well, who who is strengthened? What hand is strengthened by the power to ban this kind of stuff? The state, the very state that's going after January January six against the extremists against the right. That 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 state is strengthened. So the state is strength like. And, and those people who said, well, we want to ban hate speech and we want to ban Alex Jones, who was strengthened by that? It wasn't the right wasn't hurt by that. The, the, the left was not. I mean, the right wasn't hurt by that and the left wasn't helped by that. The only for, so, source that was helped by that was the state, the capitalist state. So, again, the House always wins on this discussion around bans. If you banned Alex Jones or if you ban you know, what's left, <laughs> you know, or if you ban critical race theorists, then the only one who wins in that case is the capitalist state. Uh, case closed, right? And so for that reason, banning should be supported on no, because the power will go, will go to, will def, the power to control who gets banned is not going to be left in the hands of those parents who don't want their kids taught certain things, or in the leftists who want to stop Muslims from being attacked. The power is going to be found in the in the state, the very same state which is keep which is attacking people on the border, which just bombed Somalia and is bombing the Middle East currently, right? The very same state which imprisons so the highest percentage of the population has the highest percentage of the population in prison, and it's mostly people of color. The very same state which is enforcing a wealth division, which is racist through and through for black people and brown people. Um, so. That that is who wins with when you ban any of this stuff, when you ban the right or when you ban the left. Um, and so, the the very people who are saying ban 
critical race theory are usually the same people who said, don't take my guns. And they don't understand, well, if you ban critical race theory, they're taking your guns next. That's how it goes. Because you've just given them a, you've just given them a tool to do it. What is upsetting for me is, is, is uh, that when, when I was going to school, I, I was very fortunate to have, you know, um, conscientious teachers uh, that were able to, you know, I, I learned about the Holocaust. Well, that was through my Jehovah's Witness education. I learned about the Holocaust a lot sooner because Jehovah's Witnesses were also uh, a small percentage, but they were in concentration camps. So, mm-hmm. but I, I learned about, um, so I did get a lot of education from conscientious teachers who were also activists, who were also in movements. I feel like I got the scene part, like the scene or being heard of la- of of people of color being seen and heard. I, and I do find it, I did find it weird when I moved to Idaho and I remember discussing things with my peers that they didn't know or they didn't, they weren't conscious of or then going to Boston as well. And I stayed there for some time and then people would say, well, I, you know, I was, a, I think I was already 18, 19. And people would tell me, well, I'm just, I'm learning stuff that I didn't learn in school, in college. And, and people, people say that they, they speak about that. And I, and I think that our U.S. American education doesn't give a very good, uh, for the longest time, I think hasn't very, hasn't been very um, conscientious of in, about including uh, the, you know, the horrors of U.S. American history, such as the massacre of native uh, native indigenous people um, and also going in depth about slavery and uh, just also discussing um, it's it's uh, it's at least I had it in my in my history classes it's it's involvement in other countries and uh, how hypocritical it was for the USA to be um, um, critical of so many other countries invading others when it was invading and it was colonizing other countries and also so I think that that I think when I was a kid, I thought that was normal. And now um, I realize that, you know, people mostly learn that in, in, in higher education or they learn that uh, so, uh, on their own. And people are suddenly more as people are using this word woke, which I had schema, like, what is this word woke? <laughs> so I think people are more conscientious today. But I do think that there is something in education that hasn't, there, there hasn't been enough of this education, which I so, so for me when I when I think about banning or not banning, I think it's it's more the framework of everything that is being taught that I have an issue with that isn't as you also said, Andy, that isn't it's just a way to fulfill some liberal or leftist need of just here we'll give you this and. That's it. That's what we're doing because of what happened last year, uh, sort of a band-aid thing. But it isn't very radical or revolutionary in its uh, in its um, premise that I think I would like to see. Because you've heard some parents say it makes them feel guilty. I've had my my friend uh, Jake who has been here, and we've discussed things. And you know, my friend has said that you know he's felt guilty. Like, what does he do? Like, he, once he was. Once I've brought up stuff like about privilege before, when I uh, was in uh, conversations with him about race and the whole other hire and what happened in Charlottesville, I mean, our discussion was just about race, guilt, privilege. It wasn't, it went in a loop. And I guess I, I didn't know where to go from there. And he was left with, what am I supposed to do with this? 
So there wasn't enough for us to be able to explore what that meant and how we could work together. Uh, so I think that that I think is what I have seen uh, firsthand experience to to uh, us, uh, and it doesn't really attack what I think we should be discussing: the wealthy, the powerful, the ruling class. How what is really going on here, and how institutionalized racism is a part of capitalism, and that's going to be something that we need to tackle if we want to tackle the entire thing. Just uh, listening from what you said, Eduardo, that you, that you discussed with your friend, um, yeah. In, and I think that's one of the um, like the outcomes that it's uh, it becomes very personal, right? Like it's shaming. It's not it's not really advancing or really deliberating or um, you know like uh, dissecting the issue. It, it just becomes an attack and a finger pointing, um, you know. And and then you know, like for me, like as a person of color, I'm like, what the hell do I do with someone telling me that they're aware of their privilege? I mean, like that's like telling someone, you know, um, I'm sorry I have food, you know, but I can't give it to you. You know, like, it, it just, to me, it, it, it's just optics and sound bites, you know, and, and, and it's just these, again, just talking and not, not actions, not, um, not really attacking the system that we need to destroy and, you know, and take down. Um, if you're genuinely interested in destroying, you know, these divisions, this oppression, um, you know, because I think of my situation, uh, my landlord is a Chinese immigrant, right? Like, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, like, what does that mean when you're, when you're, when, you know, uh, a, a, a cop, a black cop in the city owns four houses, you know, and he's renting to, a, you know, immigrants, you know, what does it mean when we, claim sanctuary cities but in reality what we're doing is just exploiting people from the south right we're just trying pretending to protect people just to bring cheap labor to san francisco or liberal cities you know like is that is that justice is that really advancing you know like fighting the system no to me it just reinforces the system you know of exploitation and and, and class division yeah and i mean First, we, I think all of us kind of did a, we, we, we tried to educate ourselves a little bit about critical race theory and we can't claim to know all the elements, particularly like, like the people who founded it, they talked about people like Antonio Gramsci, who is a Marxist, like, like a wealth respect, a Marxist I respect. They talked about W.E.B. Du Bois. They talked about Frederick Douglass um, as people who are the founders of, or around which this stuff is. So do I know when, when they were writing those things, which would have been in the seventies and eighties, I suppose, I think that's around the time that it was being written about. Um, do I know how they intersected class and race and things like that? I don't. Um, but I would say that if they were citing Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass said that the slave, the slave owner and the, and the rulers of our world divide both, divide both whites and blacks to conquer each. Um, and that is not, that is the, the talk of whites as your oppressor misdirects the idea of thinking that your oppressor is right next to you. It's the white guy next to you or the person who's, who is being, that it's only that person next to you, the person of color who's being oppressed. Generally, if in all, in all our classrooms, I think that we're in, we're talking about that. That's an entire press and oppressed section altogether. The whites in that room, the blacks in that room, the Asians, Latino, whoever, all of them are generally from a working class 
and experiencing oppression, various levels of oppression, but all of them experiencing oppression. And the other thing that's hidden is, well, who really is the oppressor then? If, and that's the reason this is a problem. It's not that it makes Jake feel bad and doesn't give him anything to do or, or doesn't give it, Kenny uh, something to do. It's the fact that it misidentifies the actual opponent that, that you're dealing with. And I think it's a, it's a recipe for, for passive passivity. Um, uh, the, one of the, do you mind if I share my screen and show you an image that I found that was, okay. Um, this is a, this is one that's currently shared. That's part of like the way that, that these kinds of critical race theory ideas are being brought into practice. Let me share my screen here. So this is a picture that talks about equality. If you see on the left where you have three figures, one tall figure, medium figure, and a small figure. And then equity, which is really the critical race theory framework or the educational framework you look about, where basically, look, this person on the left doesn't, it's got a box, doesn't need it. Take that box from him, give it to that person on the right and, and look what they can all do. Then they can all watch the ball game. I mean, and that really, it's that shuffling of things is, is sort of the way this is being talked about. Like equality isn't good enough because then you still have this person who's very small, can't see over the wall. Um, and equity is a better way so that the person who doesn't need the box, we can shift it over that way. I think you can see how this, if, if, we, if, we make, if we make this person on the left a white person, right? And look, they got more than they need. Let's just take the box from them and give it over to, and then they can have something, it can lift them. But even that is really hiding the real game in play here. The ruling class steals from both groups, reshifts and uses the, the theft from both groups to screw them both, to screw all of them. And if you were gonna, again, if we were gonna create an accurate picture, I think we'd have to go back to this old picture right here, which is this, which paints pretty much all, I mean, and this one, this is old, so it only has white people here, uh, down here at the bottom, but you'd have basically whites and blacks and brown people and Asian people, all workers down here, essentially, you know, stuck down here below, and you have an entire apparatus of the wealthy and the, the military and the priesthood and you know the, the politicians and all resting on top of you with cap, with capitalism and essentially what they've got us doing is you put whites on one side and blacks on the other side and whites push up on one side and it pushes down on blacks and so blacks push up on the push up back on the other side and what it does is keeps all those folks afloat the idea is whites and blacks working together to topple the whole darn thing right and so that's not how this is taught this is this is not the figure that critical race theory is going to use, which is the pyramid of capitalist system. You can find it. The figure they're going to use is this, which really is passive and doesn't explain a few things. Like doesn't explain how did this person here on the right, who's so small, how did they get small? Were they born small? Like, I don't think, I mean, I, I think, I assume they would say no social forces led that to, to led to that. But again, there's a lot, if you look at this kind of, and I'm, again, this is not what Derek, Bell or you know Delgado would say, but but these are the ideas, and this is how it's being talked about today. Is is this equality versus equity way? The equity being better, but you can see within the equity frame on the right how that can be used and how divisive that can be, and how it hides the actual system in play for a for a for a theory, critical race theory, which says it's about taking on the system. But what it what what is this thing does? It actually hides the system and and makes it seem. Like this is a, a shell game. I mean, for me, it's like, again, we're fighting for the crumbs and, you know, just reshuffling the crumbs off the table. And, you know, um, you know, there's this movie, uh, 
maybe people want to watch it. It's a commentary kind of on this. It's called The Platform. It's on Netflix uh, or Eloyo in Spanish. Uh, basically, people in a pit, you know, in different layers. Um, you know, it's a food uh, platform that lowers, you know, the people at the top at first and, and, you know, gradually people at the bottom don't have any food. So they have to fight and they have to climb and, and become, you know, the lower on the strata you are, you know, the more you have to fight for survival, you know. And so, again, it's a commentary on how um, little we really are fighting for uh, and pretending like that's progress and change and that is actually challenging the system when in fact it's just reshuffling you know the crumbs that we receive that, that we are left with you know after we are robbed of everything we produce there's something that i i think i'm holding on to which is i think um i don't know I, i'm not able to articulate it articulate it at the moment i i do think that that I have seen that images. Obviously, I've worked also in education, and it's presented in a lot in PDs. <laughs> uh, I do find it uh, an oversimplification of how things work and function in our in our and when we are serving our kids, or if we're just talking about society. So I, I do. I did always have issues with it because it's. I've over. I think it oversimplifies, and I don't think it takes into consideration the other elements that you were referring to. The other image, which is the hierarchical system of of uh, capitalism. Uh, so, but I, I I also know that it just for kids sometimes I I simplify it a little bit for them and just say oh, well sometimes, <laughs> and we're not discussing this at the moment. When I discuss what it what like when we talk about what is, um, why this is um, most appropriate, or I use the word just fair sometimes when I'm talking with little kids. So I, I know I've used it uh, for those reasons, but when we're discussing whether they're adults and we're discussing, especially with higher thinking and like adolescents and we're discussing systems and we're discussing race now as critical race theory, which is going to be implemented, or at least it's been in discussions for California. You know, I think, I, I'm yeah I, I I'm in agreement that it is it is quite reductive in so far as just a discussion of race it's just it just it's a it's a loop it just goes in a it's a loop and a loop and a loop and a loop and it it I don't see how we will be able to free it I I personally don't see how as a Latino person, as a person of color that understands that racism and institutionalized racism is um, there and I, I have experienced it or either directly or indirectly or aware or unaware of it. I don't see how I'm just discussing about critical race theory. That's going to help me or my white friends or uh, to be able to dismantle this. And, and, and I, I do believe that I would like to see a world where um, we are colorblind, and and I did like the one part about the uh, the legal or the framework of this, which was saying that it's by that it and works on the premise that race is not natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but socially constructed. Because I do agree with that framework. I do. That's what I do think. So it's the other stuff that I think is almost a trap where we just stay stuck here, and that's it. It's just about race. And we don't talk about worker solidarity, worker, you know, um, 
working groups and 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 how to organize. I think that is what I'm upset that this is not being included, because we really are human beings. We are, you know, we all share. Uh, you know, we are emotional beings. We're human. We have our feelings. We have our suffering. And race is not natural. It's it's not the basis of which we should be deciding how you know this person or that person gets this or that or uh, we should be segregating ourselves which i think is fundamentally what we're all trying to achieve as the so that's the thing i think i if if that's if that's one of the bases i i am for that but again i i think i'm not being a broken record it's the other pieces to it it's like what do we do about it you know um that's all my commentary of, of this and i appreciate um you sharing those images i have seen those images actually andy is um and it does oversimplify. I do think it's quite reductive. Well, I, and I agree with you that it's it, it might seem like a throwaway line, like, well, how do we organize? But the reality is, I don't think you can teach about you can't teach about fighting racism. You have to engage in the struggle to take on the states and the institutions out of which racism is one of the fruits, one of its fruits. It has other fruits. It has sexism and nationalism and homophobia and uh, all sorts of ways and, and vaccinated versus unvaccinated, all sorts of ways it's attempting to divide workers, all right? So it's got all these sorts of fruits, but the only way you can teach students how about, I believe, the only way you can really teach them about racism is we as adults right now to engage in the struggle against the existing state as it is. And if we're not doing that, we are not teaching, we are teaching our students the one thing that we are supposed to teach them, which is we're teaching them obedience and we're teaching them conformity. Even if we teach them about, oh, look at this horrible racist past or even this horrible racist present. Again, the thing that I think is it's not my problem with with um, not one of my problems with that PD picture is not just an oversimplification is it actually is extremely passive. It's about how do I lift myself over the wall so I can look and see the baseball game? It's, it has nothing to do with actually changing. If, if it was going to at least do this, if it was at least going to say, you are you have this giant weight on top of you, how do you get it off of you? What do you do? Like, are white people part of getting that weight off? Maybe they are or they are not, you know? But allow people to at least see that they are pressed upon by, a, by institutions. That is at the heart of critical race theory is that these institutions conform that. And that is completely gone from that. So I, I imagine a CRT person who was, who was OG, you know, original gangster, I guess, would look at this and be like, oh, no, it's not it's missing something. But nevertheless, this is this is the fruit that is producing today, you know, and, and it's completely destructive, I would say, because it, it pits people against each other. It makes them fight over crumbs and it, and it obscures the fact that the that while those crumbs are being fought over, wealth is going being extracted to the top. So you're actually not even gaining a crumb. You're losing you're losing whole sections of pie as you fight over a crumb that you thought you had. Um, and again, making you think that your enemy is either the black person or the white person or the Muslim or what, what have you. Um, and that's the trick that's being played on us. And there's nothing in this equality, equity picture, which, which shows that. Um, but I, and I, and I think we have to, I believe that educators, the one thing I can say as an educator is you cannot teach you cannot teach the fighting of racism unless you yourself is, are engaged in the struggle against the state, against the institutions, and against capitalism. Otherwise, you will not, or at the very least, you are not engaged in a struggle of some sort. And if you're not engaged in a struggle, collective struggle, then you have nothing to teach our students other than 
what we always teach them, which is do as you're told. And you also, um, you know, on that question, Eduardo, what do we teach? You know, I, I think that if you look, everyone look back at what I said. I said, what do we yeah. do? What, I didn't say, what do what, we yeah. teach? Just want yeah. to be clear. Yeah. Andy, you what also do do? said, yeah. what do I teach? I said, what are we left <laughs> with or what do we do about it? Is oh, no, I, I, I want to be clear. I was agreeing with you, Eduardo. I wasn't disagreeing with you because yeah. you, you had posed it as an organizing question, which is, uh, it's not a throwaway. It, the idea of how do we teach racism is an organizing question. It's how the, the way you teach about racism is fighting capitalism. And, you know, again, my point is that, you know, at least for me, um, I try to just be loud and, and, and try to explain how I come to understand my own circumstances through understanding how capitalism operates, or at least in my attempts to understand how capitalism operates, because he has, you know, that's why I'm a Marxist, you know, because he has an explanatory power as to the circumstances of my life, you know, what got me here. You know, why my family, they were refugees, why my dad had to fight a war, why my uncle shakes at night because of, of images of, you know, people shooting, why he had to sleep with a, with a gun, why his, you know, uh, machismo was enhanced, you know, in, in, in that's uh, through this system, right? And, and as he becomes old, then, you know, they become, uh, uh, their virility goes down, their economic uh, power goes down. You know, in a system that uh, you know completely um, dispossesses you from birth, right? Just you know, understanding what the hell is rent? Why the hell do we pay rent? You know, um, and and so again, I can only teach uh, what I understand for myself, you know, and then try to share my ideas that you know what you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself. You know, you, you should understand why you're here. You know, you should understand, even white people, a lot of people <laughs> were persecuted and came here fleeing the, you know, the kings and queens they had. And guess what? We have kings and queens now again. You know, we still have them. And, and, and so, again, it's just understanding your world and, you know, understanding why your parents have to work so hard, you know, why your school is so shitty. You know, and, and how it all ties back in, into the same situation. And why then you're going to realize that you have more in common with that person in West Virginia that's, you know, a white poor person in West Virginia than some, you know, elite person in Miami that, that looks brown. You know, and, and, and so that is what we need to be discussing, you know. And I don't actually, I don't want someone to come and teach me in a theoretical way. I want to understand my circumstances. You know, and I want to help others maybe understand their own. And so we fight and we, we see that we have a common, you know, a common mission here, a common, a common enemy. Because otherwise it's just going to become this theoretical thing, you know, and you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be speaking that way. You're supposed to use that word. You know, it becomes this elitist academic, you know, shit that, you know, it's actually very exclusive of the actual people that, you know, we should be reaching out to. And, and you'd be surprised, actually, the, the, at least in my experience, the people that have gotten the shittiest deals understand capitalism more than the people that have been rewarded, you know, have proximity to power, the academics, you know, the people with, with proximity to power. Paul haters, you know, kind of revised that whole 99%, uh, um, you know, framework. Like, it's, I, I, I think that's true. 
you know, it's, it's not the 99%. You know, we're fighting the top 20% or some shit like that because they're not going to want to change the system. You know, that's your Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez. That's your Bernie Sanders. You know, that's your Jackie Fielder here in DC, in San Francisco. You know, and all those liberals that adhere to reform the system and want to just shame people for not speaking a certain way. So that's not useful. Again, I want to understand my circumstances in real terms. You know, why my material reality shit? Why I have to compete with other fellow coworkers? Why are we fighting for crumbs? Why are we focused on each other pointing fingers? Well, again, the wealth keeps going up. We have undergone the most, the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of humanity. And nothing has happened. Nothing. Not a blimp. You know, and, and as much as people want to hate on Jay Bezos, even that is problematic in my view. You know, because it's a system that produces those people. And if it's not Jeff Bezos, it's the next one. And I don't give a shit if it's Oprah or, or, or JC or, you know, I, I always go after these people because just to make a point that I don't care about them. They don't give a shit about us. If we rise up, they're going to side with the, with the powers that be, you know, that to maintain the system. So they're our enemy. They're, in, they're part of the ruling class. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. I I think the only thing that I would add is, I guess I do want to put an emphasis on how do people learn something. And learning does not come from a discussion or even just reading a book. You do have to experience something. Um, and when I, Eduardo, you, last the last episode we had was about your political journey. And I, some of it is shaped, some of it, and I would only say a very small part of, part of it is shaped by the discussions we've had here. The biggest part of it was shaped through your experience of trying to fight for the reopening of schools and the actual experience of the opposition you faced and then the political questions that were raised by that. And so that is what I, that is what I mean is, is people will not, and now, Again, if we're going to learn about race and racism, it will, we will not do it short of collective struggle. It will, it will require that experience. None of it can be learned in a classroom. None of it can be learned by just learning a, hist a history, even as accurate a people's history as you want to make it. It has to be experienced to be truly learned. And that's what this last year of remote education was about. It's not about light hitting your eyes. You need to touch things. You need to feel things. You need to be able to experience something. And so education itself is, is, is not just little chips put in your head, which is what it's, they're trying to make it. You know, I do understand that they are trying to make it like little chips that they can put in and put out and actually, in, in a sense, remove you from experience and certainly and definitely remove you from a collective experience. Um, so I want to just return to that notion of like, Okay, educators, and I'm an educator, and I know Eduardo's an educator, and I hope there are people who listen to this thing. If you're an educator and you want to teach about racism or sexism, then you have to engage in struggle now. Because you can't teach students about these things without us as adults engaging in struggle. I have nothing to add. If anyone wants to add something, I'm done. Any last things for you, Kenny? And I did find it interesting how 
when you brought up this topic, um, I actually was reading on it, like, because it was being fed to me through the algorithms or the the media, you know, like it was on BBC, it was on the New York Times, you know, it's like, it's, it's very, you know, um, is, I, I find it suspicious as to, you know, like just the, the block of information surrounding this uh, specific topic, right? Like, because it, it, they were specifically talking about CRT, yeah. critical race theory. Um, yeah. And just maybe one last thing, you know, just I think Lipson, you said it before that, you know, we, you know, these things do uh, do exist, right? Like the, the way we see each other and you know, they've been, they're part of our society, you know, it's not, I'm not going to pretend like it's not, you know, an issue in the sense that people think it exists, there's clans, and we are going to have to resolve this on the way to fighting the ruling class, you know? And we had we're gonna have to learn to understand it in a different way. And like you said, Lipson, you know, hopefully we can learn in the struggle, you know, that how this is counterproductive to our common interest, um, to fight our common enemy. Um, and again, it's not I don't want people to think that it's like, no, just throw it in the back burner. No, we're gonna have to address it, you know, because it will either make us or break us. Yeah. We'll have to address it immediately. Like because it it will be. Divisions will be forged among among us if we ever do try to come together. So we it's not a it, it's not a question you can push till later because it's going to be used to to destroy the struggle and to defeat the struggle. Racism and those divisions. Well, I was just saying quickly. Not enough about classes being discussed. So that's it. Welcome back, Kenny. Thank you. <laughs> I had energy today. <laughs> right. I just want to be selfish for a second and just point out this wonderful book here. It's called um, uh, Los Recuerdos del Porvenir, which is by Elena Garro. And it's um, it's called, um, in English, I think, The Recollections. No, The Recollections of What's to Come or The Memories of the Future, I think it would be. And I just had my book club earlier, so I'm still very feeling very inspired by it and, and um, today. So I thought maybe I would recommend, I haven't done a recommendation of any of the books that I've been reading on this podcast for a while now. <laughs> and I know your mother last time, Andy. She liked it. She liked it. Yeah. She's like, what's that book called? <laughs> it's in Spanish, but they have it in English as well. Mm -hmm. And it's a Mexican uh, female author and she has uh, in, been one of the inspirations for Gabriel Marquez uh, um, um, Garcia. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, sorry, um, spoke uh, Cien Años de Soledad, or 100 Years of Solitude. Soledad. Soledad. That book is also about capitalism. <laughs> 100 Years of Solitude. <laughs> and this one as well, actually, because it talks about after the Mexican Revolution and the, the, the military took, taking over this, this, this town, this pueblo. So, um, and just what happens, in, in, and it's just beautifully written. Right, thank you for allowing me to be selfish for a minute. Okay, here we go. What's Left is a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics um, and, our, and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast channel there and connect with us. 
Uh, I remind folks that if you like anything you have heard, please subscribe, rate, review, uh, share your favorite episode to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, BitChute, uh, Libri, L-B-R-Y, Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, YouTube or Telegram. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, come to this to our blog. Uh, I'm Eduardo Barca with Kenny Cepeda and Andy Lipson. Thank you. See you all next time.